In a world where mental health problems are used as common tropes in various forms of storytelling, therapist Ryan Inglestad and executive producer Mike Graham try to determine what lines up with real life and what is just exaggerated fantasy. Listen as we delve into the fantastical tales told about mental health in books, movies, and television. This is Pop Psych 101. Welcome back to Pop Psych 101. I am licensed therapist Ryan Engelstad here as always with co-host and advocate and stereotypical 50s dad, Mike Graham. Well, this morning I was out there uh, just getting off the farm and uh, before I left the house, I, I gave the boy a quick pop right in the jaw. And then, uh, you know, I put my suspenders on and grabbed the fedora and I left for my other job at the insurance company. So it's been quite the day. Well, it sounds like it. I, I, I'm glad you got through that and you, and you came home and had a ice cold beer and you're ready to do a podcast. 50s That's dad. That's exactly what happened. And then before I went to bed, I, I went into the boy's room and I gave him another pop right on the jaw. I was. He, yeah. needs to learn, he needs to learn something. I feel bad for your hypothetical son. 50s dad. <laughs> That's right. Hello, Ryan. You're What's back. up? What's up, Mike? I'm back from vacation. Um, I'm 35. That's right. So you caught up. I'm also 35. Yes. So I I made it. It's funny. Right before we started recording, we talked about how we sort of both feel about getting older in general. And yeah. I told you that around my birthday, I tend to get really into like changes that I want to make about myself, like self improvements. Yeah, like self improvement. So I'm reading a book called Atomic Habits which is just like such a stereotypical therapist thing to do. <laughs> but I, I own it. And, What's the um, book? What is, it, what is it about? It's about uh, starting new habits that will stick and ending bad habits and learning how habits work. And it's I find the stuff fascinating. Well, that's, that's why you're a therapist. That's right. Because I read well, no. books like that and then I talk to my patients about how to do things better or differently. Well, my what I really wanted to ask you was how, like, how did you feel about thirty five as compared to like previous birthdays? It's funny. For some reason, I was perfectly fine with it. There have been worse birthdays in the past, huh? Um, but this one, I'm just like, yeah. And I, maybe it's you know, maybe it's Mike because we're doing stuff like this, and I just feel really good where I'm at in my career and how I'm contributing to the world and yeah, as a dad that things just feel like they're they're going okay right now. Yeah, you're just like skeep, scoppin', scootin' down the street. That's right. <laughs> Skiddly bop. So it is also funny that you said that like you focus on self-improvement. And I was like, wow, because I'm the complete opposite. I'm one of those people, and I'm sure everyone knows one of these people that avoids the birthday like shenanigans. I, I would rather people honestly forget that it's my birthday on my birthday. Mm. And just like just want to be left alone. Yeah. I, I don't want them. I don't want to be celebrated like that. I already feel like I take up so much attention as mm. it is throughout okay. the year sure. that I I don't want to like, and then take another like ridiculous day for, you know what I mean? Um, so do you, people are do you like, treat yourself? Well, yeah. Like m my wife and I, you know, she'll be like, what do you want for dinner? Sure. No, but like, I, do I mean, you, do you treat yourself? Do you get something special for yourself? Mm, no. Because that's, that's, that's a tradition that I've taken on for myself, and I really enjoy it. 
That would actually be like better than getting a gift. <laughs> well, right. You just pick out something that you've been wanting to get for yourself. And it doesn't hurt that Amazon Prime Day is like right around my birthday. Oh, perfect. I'm just like, okay, what's it going to be this year? <laughs> yeah. I'm going to, yeah. What electronic can I buy? But yeah. So yeah, for, for me, it's just uh, backing off. And I also told you, I, I always get the urge to go and like temporarily delete my Facebook account right before my birthday. Because you don't want all the weird Facebook wall announcements and Yeah, I don't want celebrations. people to remember that I exist right then. Okay. Because like every once in a while, okay, I, never mind. Enough about me. <laughs> <laughs> so don't celebrate, Mike. I, I, I won't uh, tell the listeners when your birthday is or we won't have some crazy podcast party. It's fine. We'll just, we'll just pretend your birthday doesn't exist. It doesn't. I'm I'm uh, infinite years old. I there always was and I always will be. All right. All right. OK, so we got to get into the show today. We're doing wildlife. But before we get into that, we want to invite anybody that feels like they need support, uh, are interested in mental health, anything like that. And or just want to, you know, make memes and have fun with people like minded people to come join our support group. You can go to Facebook and search Pop Psych 101 Mental Health Chat in the search bar and you'll find us. And also, uh, if you just take the time out, we'd really appreciate it for you to whatever app you're listening to us on to rate and subscribe. That would be awesome. And finally, if anyone is a big fan of the show and wants to help support the show, uh, we'd really appreciate that. And in order to do that, you can just go to www.poppsych101.com slash pod support. All right. With that, let's get into it. Let's do it. That, would you son? Are you rich yet? It's a little over eighty dollars. Two weeks pay. What's a man entitled to? What do you think? Say why he fired you? He says I overstepped my boundaries with the customers. I'm just personal. <laughs> That's what people like about me. It's an important part of the job. No, I know. But I'm too well liked. That's my problem. They just, they just don't want small people like us to get ahead. Fourteen-year-old Joe is the only child of Jeanette and Jerry, a housewife and a golf pro in a small town in 1960s Montana. Nearby, an uncontrolled forest fire rages close to the Canadian border, and when Jerry loses his job and his sense of purpose, he decides to join the cause of fighting the fire, leaving his wife and son to fend for themselves. 
suddenly forced into the role of an adult, Joe witnesses his mother struggle to adjust as she tries to keep her head above water. All right, Mike, I just got to say off the top, I love this movie. I do, too. I do, too, in this really weird way. And I was like, I, w- I wonder if you felt the same weirdness about it. Maybe. I, I, all I can say is I love Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, yeah, I don't, sad eyes. Have we done a Jake Gyllenhaal movie yet? I no. Don't, nothing that I can think of. He's, He's got, yeah, big puppy sad eyes. Yes, great actor. I love Carey Mulligan. Yeah. Obviously, we have a, a fresh face, and I'm going to butcher his name. But uh, the actor, young boy who plays Joe is incredible. It's uh, Ed Oxenbold. Thank you. And directed by Paul Dano. For people who Uh, don't know Paul Dano. Love me some Paul Dano. Yeah, so primarily probably known as an actor. um, Little Miss Sunshine. There Will Be Blood. So yes, and Paul Dano. I don't know if this is... Is this his directorial debut? Has he directed something before? Okay, so a great actor. And this is a great movie. And this is one of the themes we're going to talk about today. These are the kinds of stories about mental health that I want to see more of. Yeah, it's totally like real life. Yeah, real life. It's a small story. It's about one family dealing with a a pretty normal problem in the scope of problems that people deal with. Right. And a very sort of restrained, but also, I think, honest look at how people attempt to adjust to that kind of problem. So in this case, well, there's a couple of different problems, obviously, but it sort of all escalates from the same thing. Yeah. And at first I thought it was, well, well most of the movie is sort of from the viewpoint of um, the son, Joe. Yes. It, it, him watching his parents go through this stuff, uh, but he's going through it too. I really like going into this thought like Jake Gyllenhaal was going to be like lead man throughout the whole thing, but he's not. No, like half like, the movie, he's not even in it. <laughs> yeah, like like uh, the mom, Jeanette, she carries the whole movie, basically. So uh, this is set in the year 1960 in Montana in the fall. Uh, I think around the beginning of the school year, uh, you have uh, the father, Jerry, uh, the mother, Jeanette, and their son, Joe. They are a tiny family uh, in this town. Now, what you do find out very quickly is that they moved recently to this area. And we've moved, they've moved a couple of times. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So they're, they have moved uh, and they never really say why they just, it's just kind of, it seems implied. like, yeah. Like Jerry has changed jobs a bunch of times is the sense that I got. Right. Yeah. yeah. And the thing about this family though, is, is besides, well, lots of families move, but they are just seem like a really normal family, like nothing extraordinary or they got a good student for a kid. Uh, the parents, when they argue, it's not like screaming. They It sounded like a respectful argument at the beginning of the... At the beginning, yeah. At the yes, beginning. at the beginning, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was like, it just seemed kind of real-world version of Beaver Cleaver, almost. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's it's and I reference a 50s dad. I guess technically we're into the 60s, but, but yeah, it's very wholesome. It's, the, you know, they're playing catch in the front yard, and Joe gets a job as, like, a photographer's assistant, and it's yeah. just all, like... I guess technically it's the Midwest or, or, um, it's, it's the American dream. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's this like, you know, one kid and a picket fence, uh, very wholesome three person family. Yeah. And so, so that sets us up. So we get to know our characters really well and they do such a good job of setting these characters up. Uh, they're all, they're fully fleshed out people that you can like ride this arc with. It's really nice. 
But so they, they go on to show us kind of like the characters running through their daily lives. So you get to know them. Uh, Jerry is, again, that's a father. He works at a golf course. And I think he's, is he a caddy? I it think. looks like he's a caddy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jeanette is currently a stay-at-home mom, but she used to be a substitute teacher. Um, not afraid of getting to work. And uh, Joe is, a, well, he's a good student. He plays football. Um, he helps no, his dad tries, out. The, tries to play football. That's right. Yeah. yeah <laughs> tries. But he's a great student. Yes. Um, but yeah, and he helps his dad out at the golf course. So more of just like kind of like their normal family stuff. But one of the first things we kind of see, you you kind of see that there's a little bit of money issue in it, and you start mm-hmm. to wonder why. And so Ryan, like right here, I was wondering like what you saw up to this point as far as the family, if uh, red flags were kind of going on here. Well, it's funny because, you know, obviously we have this sense that back in the 50s, like obviously people talked differently. But even uh, if you do research on, you know, what was known about mental health in the 50s, at times we don't know a lot today. In the 50s and 60s, it was basically nothing, right? Yeah. So to the extent that people would talk about things like being stressed or or um, anxious, like these were not even words that were in the vernacular, right? Really? Yeah, yeah. It's just it's just not the way people talked back then. Huh. That's crazy because they used to have like those fainting couches for like uh, anxious mothers. Yeah, but but even the to the extent that that like the word anxious would be used to describe what they were were they experiencing was was not really how they would talk about things. Because if you look yeah. at the you look at the the kitchen table, right, where they're you know they talk about things on a day to day basis and. Everything is kind of very tight lipped and we're not really talking about the things that are going on. It's just, you know, you mentioned uh, uh, the beaver cleaver. It's like all that kind of like everything is very surface level and and it's everything's OK. Even the fights are just kind of like on eggshells. We're talking about things. We're not really talking about things. Yeah. And for me, if there's a, a red flag, it's it's that it's and I know that, you know, we're, we're making comparisons based on how we look at mental health today versus the 50s and 60s. So we know that they didn't talk a lot about this kind of stuff back then, or at least the way that they did talk about it was very different. But through today's lens, we know that if there are stressors or if there are emotional problems and they can't be openly discussed, uh, it becomes this thing that emotions start to get stuffed a little bit and resentments can build and um, fights can fester and things like that. So that's yeah. that's the things that I started to notice even earlier on. Yeah, and... This was the area of the movie where uh, that check was bounced. Yes. And so, like, that was, like, the first thing we saw. I just wondered what you thought of of Jeanette's reaction here. Because immediately what I thought when I saw it was, this isn't the first time this has happened. This is, like, the never-ending amount of times this has happened. Probably. And that's what I saw, and I just didn't know what you saw there. Yeah, it was clear that, you know, she was embarrassed, but this was a familiar problem that she was experiencing. Maybe it was the first time it was ex- it was happening in Montana, but it was not, you know, something that she was unprepared for. It was basically like, oh, okay, I'll write a check or whatever we have to do to sort of take care of this and just sort of brush it under the rug and let's not let's not make it a bigger problem than it is. Let's just try to solve it and move on. Yeah. And that's very much the sort of 50s, 60s men's mindset of like, pull up your bootstraps, go back to work and just keep on keeping on, keep on trying, keep on, <laughs> yeah. you know, you got to pay the bills. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, that's that's not untrue. But, you know, to the extent that we see them talking about these financial problems, it only really becomes openly discussed until it's a crisis. That's true. Yeah, that's was like the check thing. She's 
it's like she's going to keep that to herself. Right. She's just going to be stressed about it without mm-hmm. seeing it. Yeah. So the next part I wanted to talk about, too, because I think this is like a big U-turn in the movie for the the Cleavers. I mean, it just seems kind of abrupt. All of a sudden, Jerry gets fired from his job at the golf course. Well, there was some warning to this. Um, Jerry's boss pulls him aside after overhearing that Jerry was gambling with some of the uh, course pros, the the people he was caddying for and that obviously that that's against the rules now jerry sort of defends himself that they were having fun they were enjoying it even the uh the patrons the golfers you know said it was no big deal that they they had had fun with jerry but right you can tell in that exchange that jerry's boss is annoyed and that maybe this is something that jerry's done before oh okay see i I didn't catch that i just thought that's a dumb like manager (laughs) Well, and that, and there could be some truth to that, but I think realistically, you know, a golf course in Montana in the 60s probably can only afford uh, so much rule breaking, right? Sure. So even if the customers don't complain, it's still something that, you know, they, they had a problem with with Jerry. So Sure, people um, can start talking that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, exactly. So Jerry gets fired, yes. Yep, so Jerry gets fired. More or less in front of Joe. Yeah. Yeah. Basically right in front of Joe. And this is also like the first time that you see Joe has very worried eyes. Anytime mm-hmm. anything happens with his parents, anytime, anytime anything goes out of the, what he considers his normal life, his eyes go worried uh, and he plays it so well too. But a couple things happened that I noticed here. Jerry gets really, um, he seems very jaded and angry about feeling like a small person under the control of people with more wealth than him. He just doesn't seem happy about I, it, his like trajectory in his career and life. Uh, maybe, maybe not his family, but definitely his career. He's, he's just not happy. He feels small. And yeah. And then the other thing what, that I noticed was uh, how supportive Jeanette was about him getting fired. Um, she said, how's he ever going to, you know, she's talking about the manager at the golf course. How's he ever going to find a better man for the job? I was like, well, that was really supportive. Um, so the two things I was wondering here was, one, Jeanette, like, did you think she was s- sincere here? Um, or was she trying to hide her worry? And then what does that say for you? Like, is this telling us, like, how many jobs he's gone through, that kind of stuff? Potentially, yeah. So this is where, for me, like, the paths of our three main characters start to diverge, right? Because we start to see Jerry's reaction. And it's, again, very much a sort of stereotypical like 50s or 60s male pride thing where it's like he wants to be like the breadwinner he wants to support his family and the fact that he at least appears to be unable to successfully do that consistently is really a big blow to his not just his ego but you know how he sees himself he sees himself as small in comparison to these people with money right and that's probably been a pattern for him for one reason or another um it's sort of hinted at maybe he has a problem with alcohol we don't know why he's left jobs before but right it's clear that this is, to a certain extent, been a pattern for him that he's been unable to consistently hold down a job. You know, it, it does remind me of me here. Here's like the where I relate in this. Okay. But she says something like, you know, you see something new or shiny and you jump to it, that kind of thing. So I, I understood that about him, like the best of intentions guy who like for the life of him can't settle down. If that makes sense. Oh, sure. Because that's that's the way I am. Also has a hard time accepting 
um, a job that he feels would be beneath him. Because the other thing that that Jean tries to do is, you know, suggest jobs that she saw in the newspaper and, um, you know, oh, there's the the grocery stores hiring things like oh, that. Yeah. I mean, if we're just being honest from today's standards, like is, is grocery store clerk that different from golf caddy? Like, no, <laughs> come on, Jerry. And like, you know what? It's a, I worked in the grocery industry for a long time. It's a decent. I had a job money. at a grocery store, too. Yeah, absolutely. Granted, I was 16 years old, but, you know, I think at, at a certain point in certain times in our lives, we have to accept what's available to us. And Jerry has a really hard time doing this. So Gene, Gene's um, adjustment and Mike, we're going to start to talk about adjustment disorder because some of the things are going to start to resemble what we now look at as that. Jean goes and tries to find work herself because she notices that Jerry is, let's just say, inconsistently motivated to find appropriate work. And she looks for work for herself. So she goes to the bank and they tell her that they're not hiring. She even asked the bank if they'll hire her husband. And then I think the the bank lady takes kind of pity on her and is asks if she knows how to swim. So that kind of turns into to Jean's first job where yeah, she's going to. You know, he's going to teach people in town to swim as a small source of income, which is, you know, amazing of her. It's a it's a great adjustment. Yeah, yeah absolutely. she yeah. she sees her husband struggling mm-hmm. because this whole time while she's doing this, we see Jerry like meandering in his backyard doing nothing. Like he was just out there like uh, smoking a cigarette, sure. <laughs> just like pacing around and like sitting in his car looking at work lines and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, and there was one where Joe, the son, walks up and just finds his dad asleep in the car. Yep. Like, in the middle of the day. <laughs> like mm-hmm. That's weird. So that's what's happening, and, and Jeanette goes out and is just out there to support him at that point. Yeah, takes on the, the responsibility of at least contributing some income to the family. So at least at this stage, you know, we have Jerry not adjusting well. We have uh, Gene adjusting very well, for all intents and purposes. And we have Joe, we're, we're kind of, you know, we're, uh, we're not sure. Joe is obviously concerned about his dad. Um, Joe is struggling in his attempts to sort of fit in in school. That feels that way at, at certain times. Even if he's doing well academically, he is uh, not enjoying being part of the football team. He wants to quit. But he goes out and get a, gets a job. So it's like we take yeah. that as a, a very good sign for his adjustment. One thing I was wondering, because so they do move to Montana and it's recent, but then there's also this firing. So I didn't know what your perspective on like uh, what the crux of the adjustment disorder was and whether it was the firing or the move. So for me, it's because as we look at the family at the beginning of the movie, they seem to be stable. Um, the adjustment disorder to the extent that it's a disorder. And we'll talk about some of the, the signs of that as we go definitely happens at the the sign of the firing. Okay. And then the and then the subsequent leaving. Obviously Jerry leaves yep. and, and takes the job fighting the fires. That's when we really start to see a breakdown in an adjustment for the three members of the family. And that that is what happens. They they go on like this for a while with Jeanette teaching swim classes and Jerry watching the work lines, Joe going to school, um, hanging out with his friend at school and going to his job. And then one day Jerry gets out of his car and joins the work line. Uh, and then he comes back home and he ends up telling them that that, that work line wasn't what I thought it was, which was he was going to go do construction. Sure. Uh, they had been kind of foreshadowing this for the whole movie in Montana. In this time of the year, they get really intense forest fires. This is 
even longer ago where things were more difficult to deal with. And so like tons of the guys in town would have to go and volunteer or join in for low wages to go like dig ditches so the fires couldn't cross them to save save the world. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So one day he gets out of the car, he joins the firefighters to go out there and do this. But what this means is that he's actually leaving. Yes. Like for an extended period of of time, he's going to go fight fire until it starts snowing. For a dollar an hour. Yeah. So this is where everything turns on a dime. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's like the next day. Right. <laughs> well, I, so the the conversation between Jerry and Gene uh, when Jerry uh, reveals his plan is actually mm -hmm. really interesting, right? Because we see him, what well, at least in his mind feels like this is a great idea. <laughs> this is what I'm going to do. It's going to be great. Uh, see, that's I would. That's what I would do. I would be like, baby, I'm joining the firefighters. Sure. <laughs> and very little consideration it feels like is given to. Uh, what is Gene's concern, which is like, he's, you're leaving us behind. You're yeah. leaving us to go do this job, which is like, great if you're happy about it, but yep. it's just us here now. And it's also dangerous. Sure. Yeah. Oh, okay. Absolutely. So that's, that's her second big concern is like, he doesn't know anything about fighting fires. <laughs> yeah. Um, and this is obviously a dangerous job, probably even more dangerous than it was, than it is today. Obviously we have a lot of fires now in our day and age as well, but back then probably even more dangerous. Yeah, yeah. So that happens. And he just leaves, like even though she tells him her concerns. And this is a much more significant fight than the previous sort of lighthearted one we see at the opening of the movie. Yeah. So an important conversation happens between Jerry and Joe and then subsequently Gene and Joe around this like pivot point of Jerry accepting this job where each parent almost like tries to get Joe to be on their side with how they feel about the change. Yeah. And Joe is thrust right in between his parents in this significant conflict. His dad's leaving. His mom's uh, completely torn up about it and completely disagrees with the plan, the idea. Right. And Joe is left to just sort of uh, figure it out to, to support his mom, since obviously he's not going with his dad. So he's forced into the situation of just, OK, I'm with mom and I guess I'm almost like the man of the house in a weird way, because, yeah, if we're being honest, his mom starts to treat him that way, where it's like, yep, you know, I'm, you're not a kid anymore. Now I'm going to treat you like almost like a friend. And yeah, definitely. Or a roommate or something. Yeah, it starts to get really problematic. And where she kind of turns is she says the night of that he leaves to Joe, she says, uh, maybe he's going to leave me. But then she switches around and says. I told him we shouldn't have come here. So, yeah. so it goes from this like fear to anger, like very quickly. Yes. And then they go to sleep and I'm pretty sure it's the next day. Yeah. Joe, Joe gets out of bed and walks into the living room. And there you have Jean wearing this like beautiful dress with her hair done up and their makeup on. And she's talking like a 1930s posh person. Sure. And like bobbing her head like that. I mean, she, I mean, she's, she has completely transformed overnight. And so this was the first time in the movie, because I knew we were doing adjustment disorder today, mm -hmm. where I was going to be like, Ryan, like, what in the world is going on here? Is this realistic in any way? It's for me, uh, it is pretty realistic. Now, whether you call this like a break for Gene in the sense that like this personality shift um, or whether we think of it as just you know, almost like an extreme 
anxiety reaction and the, her attempts to compensate for that, there is a, a serious shift happening for her there. There's no question about it, right? Yeah. So, so people know what we're talking about when we talk about adjustment disorders. Symptoms can include things like rebellious or impulsive actions, which we certainly see with Jean as time goes on. Um, anxiousness, which, again, even if she's not using that word, she's clearly um, uh, uncomfortable, uncertain about her own future and the future of the family. Feelings of sadness, and, uh, hopelessness, or being trapped. You know, if you're spouse uh, is leaving you for an uncertain amount of time, there could certainly be an understandable feeling of sadness or even hopelessness about, you know, what's going to happen to him. I don't know if we see her specifically crying, although that could be a certain, certainly a symptom as well. Withdrawn attitude, issues with things like concentration, self-esteem, and then on the serious end, um, suicidal thoughts and things like insomnia and things like that as well. But there are a couple of different types of adjustment disorder. Pretty straightforward. There's adjustment disorder with depressed mood, adjustment disorder with anxiety, adjustment disorder with mixed anxiety and depressed mood, and then things like um, adjustment disorder with disturbance of conduct, which we might typically more see uh, with kids or teenagers. And then the, there can be sort of uh, spectrums within all of these, of course, as well, in which you might get yeah. something like adjustment disorder unspecified. Ooh. So that's, that's, the, yeah, that's the range of things that we're looking at from a 2019 lens with what's happening both with uh, Gene and to a certain extent, but probably lesser extents, uh, Joe and Jerry. This is one of those things, like a quick side note here that always makes me go, man, it must be hard to be a therapist because like everything you described there, I was like, this sounds like a bipolar person mm. or something else. But then it's like, you would have someone in your office and then if they didn't ever choose to reveal something that happened to them, that was like, um, a quick change in their life. Like how hard would it be to pinpoint that this was adjustment disorder and not something else they were dealing with? Yeah. I mean, ideally they would share anything that was a serious precipitating factor. Some of, uh, I'll just go through some examples to, to sort of illustrate your point. Some common causes of adjustment disorder include things like death of a family member or friend, divorce or relationship issues, major life changes, even things as simple as a move um, or job change. Serious health issues can cause adjustment disorders. Yeah. Disasters, as you can imagine, which might include things like, you know, your house getting broken into or car accident. And then, frankly, money troubles, um, financial stress can cause adjustment disorder. Well, with uh, for kids, you most often see like family fights, conflicts, um, problems in school, even issues like relationships or sexuality can cause adjustment disorder. So to answer your question, yes, it can certainly resemble just like your run-of-the-mill anxiety or depression or PTSD or bipolar, but there's usually a specific cause or event that precipitated them coming into treatment. And the what we look at as the sort of length of time that the symptoms have been going on is usually a little bit more specific. Okay. So that's how we try to make the distinction between what you're talking about. Now, could you also say maybe with adjustment disorder, uh, and this is me speculating here, that it would have like a better prognosis? Uh, yeah, that's a fair assumption um, based on the fact that the symptoms that we're looking at are in response to a specific event. And once that event is, to whatever degree that's possible, resolved or, you know, specific coping skills can be built up to address with that, to, to address that event, um, yes. I would say adjustment disorders probably have a better prognosis for quick recovery. 
That doesn't mean they can't be serious. As I mentioned, you know, serious symptoms like suicidal ideation are still possible with adjustment disorders. But because there's a specific trigger, you know, if we can work on that specific trigger, chances are we can, you know, find success. Awesome. Yeah. All right. We're going to take a quick break and we will be back to finish off wildlife. So, Mike, uh, we we just sort of wrapped up adjustment disorder and you would think like, oh, so maybe that's as bad as it gets. But it's not. <laughs> it gets no, that was just the beginning. so much worse for this family. Like we were saying is that she the next day becomes like a different person from what you see. And I think her main motivation is she is scared about like losing the house and not being able to pay for things. And she feels like Jerry couldn't support her. And then she went back and started looking at their whole life and how he was always job to job. And and now she just, I think, sees him as maybe unreliable. And so she goes to, you know, go find a real job. But what ends up happening instead of simply finding a real job so she could make sure her and Joe had a good life during the three months that Jerry left. Yes. Again, let me say that it was only three months that he went to fight fires for their town. Okay. Uh, <laughs> she meets a guy named Warren mm-hmm. Miller. Yep. Mr. Miller. He is an older gentleman who has a lot of money. A lot of stuff goes down with him. And she starts acting very inappropriate with him and bringing her son around those actions. I don't know. This is where I I seriously thought, like, I don't really know what's going on because I don't know what adjustment disorder is. And, like, how is she dealing with this? Like, what is she What is she doing? Why is she acting this way? Yeah. So, you know, if you asked Jean, she might even have a hard time sort of explaining her behavior. But, you know, essentially as and I think you you sort of hit the nail on the head in some regards that she's anxious. She's scared. um, She doesn't know how the family is probably going to fend for itself in the worst case scenario, that being Jerry dying in a fire. Right. Yeah. So she starts to seek things out that let's just say, offer her a sense of stability, a sense of reliability. But that uh, intention leads ultimately to her, what did Jerry call it? Like stepping out on me? Stepping um, out, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So she uh, essentially has an affair with um, with Warren, right? Yeah. So yes, this is, as we talked about the symptoms of adjustment disorder, this what we might call, you know, uh, impulsive or rebellious behavior. Because... If you take uh, Jean from the opening scene, sort of like pleasant, supportive housewife. and Yes, yeah, so the cleaver. Right. And you contrast that with impulsive, you know, really putting her son in a terrible situation yeah. as well. And we're going to talk about Joe in just a second. It is a stark contrast. Yeah. She's dressing differently. She's like yeah. smoking in the house. And talking, talking differently. Di- I mean, she's yeah. she was drunk, obviously, but... But yeah, um, some pretty extreme shifts were happening for her. So that's what I was wondering about because of my lack of knowledge here is uh, you said it earlier was whether this was a disorder or not. So I'm sitting here thinking, watching this, like, can she control this? Does she know what's happening? Or is this just like this auto response and it's like truly like this, like a real like disorder or I don't know, like she's more consciously making these decisions. Yeah. I mean, I, I struggle with excusing anyone's behavior, especially in, you know, with mental health issues. I mean, there are certain mental health issues that could kind of completely take away, um, 
responsibility and culpability for behavior when you start talking about psychosis and things like that. But this is not that. She is, to enough of a degree, aware of what she's doing. Right. You know, we we have a situation where all of the different emotions that are bubbling up for her lead to these decisions that she ultimately makes. I mean, she asks her son to to take a day off from school and they drive out to see the wildfires. Yeah, and I was just like, she's like torturing him. Uh, hard to argue with that, yeah. She, she, okay, so here's the list of things that- Sure, break it down. She basically drags Joe through. Yep. It's just hard to even- like not get a little worked up when you're thinking about it. it, you know, if you're putting yourself in like a real life situation thinking about it. But yeah, she takes him up to the mountains to watch the fire that Jerry is actually battling at that time for him to see uh, this is what your dad left us for. Right. And there's actually kind of a, a cool metaphor here to kind of give you an insight into Jeanette's thinking. Uh, Joe wondered what happens to the animals in the forest when it was burning. Yeah says, what do the animals do? And her response is adapt, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And so that, I mean, that's what she thinks she's doing. She's adapting to this sudden change in her life. So uh, another thing that happens with Joe and her dragging him around is it would be Warren Miller. Uh, there is a dinner mm-hmm. party and she's invited to that. And she brings Joe to her new boyfriend's house. Well, it's, he's, he's not the boyfriend yet. We don't know. Well, he no, is later that night, right? But nothing's happened up until that point, <laughs> as far as Joe's aware. So, yeah, because I think this is a, this is an opportunity for us to start talking about Joe, which is that you know we talked before about him being thrust in between his mother and father in this initial sort of start this this shift that's happening, and now it's a really stark uh, reminder that you know obviously his dad's missing, but it's like. And he starts to catch on slowly. You can kind of see it in his sad eyes, as I think you yeah, describe yeah. them, where he kind of starts to notice, like initially it's just like, oh, mom's drunk and acting weird. Like, this is weird. What am I doing here? And then over the course of the evening, it becomes more and more apparent that um, this is not just mom being weird. This is mom, as we said before, stepping out. Yes. So, uh, man, so I think the reason this scene affected me so much is, you know, we think about that that three-person family, Jerry, Gene, and Joe. We said before how Joe, to this point, as far as we can tell, is adjusting remarkably well. Yeah, he, you know, he yeah. If we, if we transport this family to 2019, the, most, the person I'd be most likely to see in therapy of these three is Joe, even though Joe is adjusting just fine. Yeah. So it'd be a situation, you know, and I've had plenty of kids, unfortunately, in these sort of situations where it's like, you know, the parents are not getting along or the, or there's a divorce happening or a custody issue. And I'm seeing the kid and my experience with the kid is basically like the kid's doing great. <laughs> yeah. And if it weren't for the, the parents fighting and or bizarre behavior or, or inappropriate behavior that this kid wouldn't need my support at all, that they'd basically be just fine. Yeah. So it's so sad, frankly, for me to see this um, happening for Joe, where he's thrust into this situation where all he wants to do is go home and do his homework, Mike. That's right. That's all he wants to do. He, he just wants, wants to, to do his homework. He just wants to leave and do his homework. He's front of the class. That's right. But this this scene too, though, it really got me because I seriously, like the words vile went through my mind. Like it felt intentional to me. Like she brought Joe with her. And like paraded this man 
this stranger to Joe around the room and set, and was talking to Joe and just being so cavalier about everything. She made out with him right in front of Joe after dancing very suggestively in front of him. Then sends Joe out. She's too drunk to drive, so she sends Joe out to drive her, but then says, wait a minute, and goes back inside to step out. Yes. To um, she, she claims she's just returning the jacket to him, but yes, she oh, a- continues to... Um, make out with him more or less. And then Joe comes in to kind of get her and he sees this happening. So this is a a clear confirmation that his mother is starting this affair. But what was hitting me more was just that she was forcing him to be witness to that and not like protecting her son from her own actions. Yeah. So to me, that was a clear sign of Jean's resentment towards Jerry. Huh? Because and, you know, going back to bringing Joe out to the fire and showing him like, this is what, you know, your dad left us for. It's like she's mad. It's no longer sadness and pain and and frustration that he made this decision is that she's mad that Jerry, quote unquote, put them in this situation. So she's, you know, reacting to that by getting all dressed up and, and talking about things she used to do with Joe. And and it sort of quickly transitions into things that she wants to do with Warren, with Mr. Miller, right? Oh. Yeah, and and it's it's sad and it's painful, but, you know, as a therapist watching, it's like, okay, this is more or less Jean acting out her anger and her resentment by connecting with this new man who she sees as, you know, more supportive or more representative yeah. of stability and all these He's sorts of things. He's got money and yep. she's very worried about that. Yeah. And that was the one thing I did side with her on. She's worried about money and... You know, the husband did leave for three months. Okay, so fast forwarding, uh, the only other thing that happened with Joe that I thought was big was her letting Mr. Miller come into the house and he's, Warren's walking around the house naked. Joe sees it. So it's just really out there for me. But soon after that, it starts snowing, right? So we said earlier that uh, the men in the town go out and battle the fire until it starts snowing because that the snow helps put the fire out. And they just battle it until then. So it starts snowing and Jerry comes home. So right right before that, though, um, it's sort of implied that Joe is thinking about running away, right? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, he, yeah. Has his, he has his backpack packed and he goes to the bus station and he's literally sitting, waiting for a bus. We don't know really where he's going. I'm presuming to find his dad. That's my assumption. Yeah. Um, but he's literally sitting at the bus station when it starts to snow. And then he obviously decides to go back home. Yes. And I don't know if that was a good decision or not. Well, so that would represent what another sort of example of what we would start to look at in the spectrum of adjustment disorder is like an impulsive decision on Joe's part to either reunite his family or go find his dad or leave his mom. We don't because we don't like we're not inside of his head and he doesn't actually say how he's feeling or what he's trying to accomplish. All we see is him leaving as far as we can tell. Yeah. So it's again, it's really sad. And this is following that that confrontation that you mentioned where, you know, Joe sees this happen between his mother and, and Mr. Miller. And then, you know, she comes back in the house and, and slaps him. Oh, yeah, she does. Yep. Because he was, you know, snooping on them more or less. He was out kind of looking at what they were doing. So that's a, a pretty strong breaking point in a, in a way for the relationship that Joe has with his mom. Yeah. And you know what? J- Joe is a strong kid. Yeah. It took all of that to kind of push him to even 
kind of not deal with this anymore, you know? At this point, he finally got pushed over that, like, I can't, I don't know what to do. I can't handle this anymore. So, yeah, so he tries to get on the bus, um, ends up going home, and Jerry comes down from the mountains, and he's back, comes in the house, and it's immediate. She's standing there. Something's different, yeah. Yep. He can tell right away uh, she's talking different. She's not responding to him. Well, right. He's gone for three months and 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 she's barely excited to see him. There's just sort of a, a little kiss on the cheek and, or you want some dinner. You know, yeah. there's, there's no excitement. There's no, um, uh, it doesn't even seem like she's really happy to see him, frankly. Yeah. And, you know, she she's like treating him like a stranger almost. And that's when she basically, well, well he kind of figures it out just by the way she's acting. Like yes. what's going on. Yes. You know, and she says, I've gotten a, an apartment in town and I'll be leaving. For herself. Yeah. Yeah. That's when he asks if she's stepping out. And to her credit here, she didn't lie. Nope. She said, yeah, I, I have been. And he wants to know who. So, yeah. So now we, we're looking at Jerry has this completely flipped, turned upside down, you know, Will Smith move pulled on him. What? <laughs> My life got flipped, turned upside down. Is that the reference that you're making right now? <laughs> That's exactly right. Okay, got it. And, but it needs uh, to be in like it needs to be in like 50s li- lingo. My my life got skiddly bopped upside down. <laughs> yeah, I like that one. So yeah, so it, it's he's thrown into the fire for a terrible metaphor. He doesn't deal with this well, but we this is the first time we get on screen difficulties for Jerry, and he might have been having a hard time the whole time he was firefighting. You know, maybe that's why he did leave. We don't know because we didn't get to see that. So we can only talk about what happened after she told him that she's um, cheating on him and is leaving. Uh, and he does not deal well. And to be fair, so so he comes home being excited not just to be home, but but to tell them that he's got a new job offer, yeah. um, that he's got a job offer from the forestry service and they would have to move again, but that he's excited about life you know so he's he he has that position but he's coming in to finding that his wife stepped out on him so now we start to see you know what jerry's adjustment disorder looks like now we know from when he got fired that it was this sort of like quiet smoldering sort of uh anger at himself unhappiness jaded jaded yeah so what this would probably be within the spectrum of you know adjustment disorder with depressed mood where he's really down on himself and on life and then you know especially with males and especially this era of males when the the depressed mood is no longer festering it explodes so it explodes in anger it explodes in the sort of righteous anger that someone has uh, done something to him so when uh gene shares that she stepped out on the marriage he not only he wants to know, but he wants to know more. So then the next scene, he is, uh, I think, like having dinner or is out at a, at a bar or restaurant. They're at, they're, they're at a bar. Yeah. With Joe. Yeah. And and he's starting to question Joe on what Joe knows about this this relationship. Yeah, because he can't keep himself from asking that question, even though it's it's pretty. I don't know. I, I thought it was inappropriate. Do you ask your 14 year old for info? Uh, it just reminds me like deadbeat dad territory. Yes, it is absolutely inappropriate for you to involve your 14-year-old child in your marital trouble. You know, I don't care if there's cheating. I don't care if if it's a divorce. Do not put your child in the middle of your marital problems, period. Yeah, and as far as Jerry's story arc, this is when 
I think we see his adjustment disorder go into uh, full berserker mode. Yes. Uh, Joe tells him finally after prodding him, Joe tells Jerry that uh, the man she's cheating on him with is Warren Miller. And he, I guess, happens to know him. He knows he's older. He knows he's rich. And he knows where he lives. So Jerry stops by the gas station and fills up like a five-gallon tank with gasoline and goes to burn his house down. More or less. So, I mean, we don't see the house totally burned down, but he at least lights the front porch on fire. Yeah. <laughs> well, he had the guy not come out, he, yeah. he would have done it. Probably. It does seem that way. Yeah. And it's and it's a wild, wild example of how um, like the police's relationship with people was back in the 50s. Yeah. You know, I've, I've talked to um, not even the 50s, but like 60s and 70s where, you know, if if you got pulled over for drunk driving it'd be like, all right, now you be careful out there. I'm going to follow you home. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and this guy just committed arson. And it's yeah. basically just like, all right, are you two done, you know, with your roughhousing? And he just basically like doesn't, he drops the charges because he did have an affair with, with Jerry's wife. But that aside. He owes him one. Right, sure. <laughs> but whether they owe each other one or not, I think there's there's still an arson charge here. But <laughs> uh, anyway, but yeah, it's a fascinating and really quick escalation. Like it reminds me of Anchorman. Like, wow, that really got out of control fast. <laughs> that has quit. It can escalate quickly. Yeah. Jerry burned a house down. It was, yeah, it really, I actually wrote my notes. It's just all caps. Yeah. It's like Jerry's burning his house down. Yeah. And Joe, you know, Joe, again, stuck in the middle where he he wants to tell his dad this information because he's seen this happen. And he you can tell he has a certain sense of loyalty to his dad, um, especially after what he's seen his mom do. But as soon as Jerry does this, it like the switch flips again. And it's like, Dad, what are you doing? Yeah. And he's scared for his dad. And he goes to the police station he thinks to find his dad because he's expecting his dad to be arrested, which is not an unreasonable assumption. Agreed. And also to to sort of report what happened. He, he kind of reports and then the police bring him home. And now we have this, you know, additional scene of like, Jerry apparently is not going to get in trouble for this, but they're all home again and trying to figure out where the family's going to go from here. And Joe basically point blank asks that, like, what are we going to do now? What is our family going to do now? Well, the, the answer is shortly thereafter and yes. it's that they're going to separate and right uh gene moves away joe stays with jerry and this is where i kind of wanted to to wrap up everyone's uh, adjustment stuff sure yep. because i think mm -hmm. there's there's a bigger thing happening than even the parents what i was wondering is we have these parents and we we know what they've done i was wondering what your assessment on them as far as their reactions were you know, realistic, not realistic. Is this like overly extreme example or, you know, like what are we kind of looking at? And then like, how are you going to deal with this in real life? Somebody in your office, you know, as we usually talk about, like how, how are you going to get someone um, from not burning someone's house down or not parading their child around in front of the person that they're seeing outside of the marriage? Yes, I'm glad we got back to this because, you know, it's back to the sort of differentiation between, you know, uh, 1960 and 2019, where my goal with a family like this, whether they, you know, uh, so they separate, which I mean, for all intents and purposes, might be a good thing for how bad things got in this family. Uh, really, though? Oh, you don't you think they could have gotten it back together? 
it was three months. <laughs> it was like, well, I, I, I'm saying that based on what happened. I mean, yes, so, yes. look, so, so let me say this. As the therapist, it's not my job to advocate for separation or to advocate for them to stay together. It's to advocate for the sort of safety of everyone, obviously, safety and comfort of everyone, but also to just, just kind of get everybody on the same page with whatever the plan is. So if the if the plan is for the parents to separate and we want to make that work, okay, what's that going to look like? You know, even if we were doing family therapy in some cases like this, we would honor that intention. It would not be my position to be like, you know, look, guys, it was only three months. Can't we fix this ship? You know, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't do that. Even if I felt that way as a non-therapist person that I felt like they could reconcile the relationship, it's not my position to tell them what to do. You'd be like, you you guys, you guys let all this happen in right. three months? <laughs> but, you know, one of the most important things that you do in, in this sort of family situations is you make sure that the kid knows, and this is like a stereotype, but like it's not the kid's fault. Because it's so common when I work with kids that, you know, the sort of um, deterioration of a parental relationship, uh, the kid takes that on as their own responsibility, even if there's no evidence that to support that assumption. And it's terrible and it's sad, but it's so sad. But Joe and, and you would understand if Joe came away with that because, you know, his mom was doing this weird stuff with Mr. Miller right in front of him. Like, was he supposed to stop it? Was he supposed to do something? You know, his dad got fired right in front of him. Was he not supposed to be there? Was he, you know, there's all these opportunities for Joe to sort of learn the wrong lesson. And I think one of the the most uh, positive things I take away from this movie is that Cho seems the most put together at the end of it. You know, he wants his parents to come to the photography studio where he's learned how to take portraits, right? Well, see, because that's where I had a different perspective on that. Sure. And I was going to ask you about that. So we kind of see how we would go forward with the parents and the family in a real life situation and that, yeah, they these people went through pretty rough adjustments and didn't deal well. Uh, but Joe held strong, like the whole movie, right? And then for me, the very last scene in the movie is he takes him to that photography studio that he's been working at the whole time. Yep. And he says, I want to show you guys something. What it really turns out to be is that he sits him down in the chair and he takes a portrait of them three. Because mm -hmm. it's probably the last time he has a chance to take a portrait of his family together. It's not a good picture. And so what I thought when I saw this was Joe held strong the whole time. And now Joe isn't adjusting well. Well, we don't see, I guess, I guess this is the only evidence that suggests that, that he's sort of trying to keep the family together, even if it's very clear that that's not going to happen. We don't have any other evidence that he's not adjusting well. So, so yes, that would be certainly on the lookout for that if I'm working with the family or working with Joe in particular. But taken on the face of it, wanting a picture with your parents when the mom lives hundreds of miles away, I, I don't I didn't look at it as like a particularly bad warning sign. OK, well, it wasn't an indie movie, though. That's true. <laughs> so lots of lots of uh, metaphor going on here. But yeah, I mean, it's 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 a fascinating picture. And I think to, to sort of wrap it up, I mean, if I were working in this with this family in 2019 and they wanted to even just say, uh, keep communication up for the sake of Joe, you know, it'd be very important for them to be able to talk about their feelings in an effective way. So when I work with families, especially when there's divorce or, or conflict between family members, 
one of the sort of conflict resolution strategies is to focus on assertive communication. So that's not blaming, that's not, you know, uh, attention seeking behavior or, or um, passive aggressive behavior, sarcastic communication, but this is how I feel and I need you to understand that. That's, that's for all parties involved. So if it's Joe, it's he's sad that his parents are still not together uh, or haven't resolved their problems. If it's Jerry, maybe Jerry's, uh, maybe he misses her. Maybe he's lonely. Maybe he's fine. And that's okay. Maybe he's still angry at her. All those emotions are okay as long as we don't get into sort of blaming and like rehashing past event territory. You know, for, for Jean, she's out on her own. Is she scared? Is she anxious? Like, those are important things to be able to model effective emotional communication for her still 14-year-old son. Yeah, okay. All right, well, guys, we, we do have to wrap this one up. I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation about wildlife. Uh, but now we got to get into our ratings. And if you haven't listened to the show before, every week, Ryan and I rate on a scale of one to five. Ryan rates for accuracy, and I rate on the critic scale. Ryan, what did you decide this week? So um, I'll just say I'm out of five, having a friendly game of catch with your dad. Yeah. Because that's like a stereotypical 50s, 60s thing, right? Um, yeah. I give this movie a five. I love this movie, and I I think it is a expertly handled depiction of a family in crisis and yes there are some extreme reactions in how the family handles this crisis but those extreme reactions are still within unfortunately um the realm of how people handle terrible events in their life so yeah. it's sad and it's maddening at times but this is absolutely an accurate depiction of how families can attempt to cope with you know, the trials and tribulations of adult life. Okay, so I'm going to do on the critic scale, and I'm doing uh, out of five Joes. I'm just doing Joe because Joe was uh, just a just a badass all the way through. I, I, I don't know. I really like this character. I, I wondered if he came from Paul Dano's experiences at all because uh, he actually kind of looks like Paul Dano, the director. Sure. Yeah, he does, yeah. <laughs> but as a movie... Man, I love indie flicks like this, so it's always hard. Um, I love like the silent feel, like where they don't fill everything with dialogue or action, and they let you really get to know a character, um, especially when it tells a really great story like this and a realistic story. So I'm going to give this a 4.5. Great movie, uh, worth more than one watch, uh, worth telling your friends about, so that's what I got. All right, so we're going to get out of here for the day. Uh, make sure you stick around for Ryan's closing thoughts on the episode. But first, I need to thank Kevin McLeod for all the music we use on the show. If you need royalty-free music, you can find Kevin at filmmusic.io. And now for some frustrating closing thoughts on the 2018 movie Wildlife. It's impossible to totally prepare for major life changes, which is why adjustment disorders can happen. We don't see change coming, so we are left to figure out how to adjust in the wake of the major life event. What we can do is establish interpersonal supports for when things do go badly. This may partially be a consequence of moving frequently, but it's clear that Jerry and Jean have minimal social support to help them through their crisis. We never see them reach out to friends or family for help, and they're ultimately left to fend for themselves. This makes them more vulnerable to impulsive adjusting behaviors. If you can effectively build a support system, those support systems can give you feedback if they notice you're struggling in one way or another. 
Gene and Jerry probably have good intentions by trying to involve their son Joe in the family problems and even arguments. They might think it's good for him to learn or to see what adult life is really like. But it's a whole other thing when they pit Joe between them, effectively forcing him to choose which parent to support moment to moment. The best thing you can offer your child if you're going through marital problems is structure and consistency. So don't take your child out of school to go watch a wildfire and don't force your child to tell you what your partner is doing. These behaviors only make things worse for them. Let them go to school, let them have time with their friends, and for goodness sake, if they wanna do their homework, take them home so they can do their homework. Thank you so much for listening to our show. If you like the show, please check out our social media pages. We are everywhere at poppsych101. We also love hearing from our listeners, so if you wanna give feedback or suggest something for us to cover, you can email us at poppsych101 at gmail.com or join our Facebook group. Poppsych101 is on iTunes, Spotify, and everywhere podcasts are found. For Mike Graham, I'm Ryan Engelstad. Thanks for listening to Pop Psych 101.